Five days. Ladies and gentlemen, we are five days away. That's including today because I don't do math. I'm I'm a football journalist now. Welcome to the Real Forno Show. We're going to talk about this Minnesota Vikings team and how it equates to week one. They're arguably the healthiest they've ever been in my lifetime going into week one. How is that going to be impactful? How is Baker Mayfield changing this offense and more with my colleague at Vikings Wire and Score North, Judd Zulgad, as we talk about week one of the NFL season. Welcome to the Real Forno Show. Welcome to the Real Forno Show, hosted by Tyler Fornis, the managing editor of USA Today's Vikings Wire, writer for the College Football Network, publisher of Substack Run In Shooter, host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, as well as a founding member of Vikings First and You are looking live. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Real Forno Show. I am your host, Tyler Fornis, with me as always. This time, he's in the bottom right corner as I get the point down, producer Dave, and just off to my right, I guess, um, as I look at the screen a little weird and everything's backwards like a stage, he is uh, my colleague for Vikings Wire and at Score North. He is the man himself, the legend himself, Judd Zolgad. Judd, how are you and your bobbleheads today? Uh, they are all outstanding. Uh, so am I because football season is here. Of course, we got the opener tomorrow with the Lions and Chiefs on Thursday night. I was uh, at TCO today for the Kevin O'Connell press conference and for access and uh all is right with the world now that the NFL season is back, Forno. Oh, I cannot wait. It is, it's been so long since we've had NFL football that matters. Look, I, I got my college fix this past weekend. I'm feeling pretty good. And let me tell you, these quarterbacks look really interesting. We can start the conversation here because one of the things that we were talking about pre-show, I want your take on this. And I, th- I think we know the macro picture with Kirk Cousins. And he is he was described by you and Davis very loose, very relaxed. And but we can look at the macro picture and be like, okay, well, he's got a coach that embraces him. We all know that. Mike Zimmer hated him. We know that too. But when we look at the micro and we kind of take a look at like what this picture looks like, why is Kirk so relaxed? He's going into a contract year. He has an offensive line that while they also played well, he got his ass whooped last year. Why is the, why is he feeling so zen right now? I think because he's going uh, finally into the second year of an offensive system after year after year being in, you know, the first year as the Vikings, especially during his time here, switched um, coordinators. But here's the thing I think is really in- intriguing, and it's what I wrote for you at Vikings Wire on Monday that Kirk Cousins from 2018 through 2022 and from 2018 to 21 with Zimmer as his coach was despised by his coach, but always had security. Like he always had the contract. And now this is the first time in his time with the Vikings that he doesn't have that security. But to what you just said for now and what Dave was talking about as well beforehand, he has, he is, really at peace and at ease. And one thing I keep going back to is, you know, this is the fourth time now 
in his career in the National Football League. The Kirk Cousins has been in the final year of a contract uh, because he was in the last year of his contract in Washington. They elected not to sign him long term. They franchised him. They franchised him again. And now, um, with the threat of not being franchised, he is going into the last year of his contract. But Kirk is a really interesting guy. And I, I think the way I would put it is he's comfortable and he seems to me like in this case, he can compartmentalize where things are at because he's done this before. And I really believe that one thing that makes Kirk tick is familiarity of situations. I don't think he likes the first time he's put into something he doesn't necessarily have um, experience with. But contractually, he has been here before. And so I think all of those things and the, the fact that contract or not, his head coach as you said, Forno, embraces him. I think all of those things are what make Kirk relaxed, although it would seem like not having the contract past this season would not necessarily do that for some guys. Yeah, exactly. It's it's very interesting, and uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to meet my my dad, Judd, when, whenever we've ran into each other, but my dad, is he, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Kirk. He's very, very relaxed, more of a blue-collar guy, doesn't like to spend money, um, his his fashion is definitely not his forte, and he he just likes to likes to just kind of be himself, and it feels like that's the mode that Kirk's in right now. And what really intrigues me about how that's going to translate this season, and something we talked about a lot leaning into last year, is how is his game going to evolve? How is he going to continue to evolve? Because he essentially flipped his game completely last year where he wasn't taking those checkdowns. He was standing in the pocket, taking those hits and firing missiles down in the deep and intermediate levels of the field to guys like Justin Jefferson, TJ Hawkinson, where in previous years, he just take the two yard checkdown instead of trying to fire into that tight window. And I'm wondering with this being the second year of the offense with Kevin O'Connell, how much is that? Do you think going to grow? Because now he's getting, as you kind of mentioned, he's getting really comfortable. He uh, finally has, continuity he's not having to learn a new system or the same system with new verbiage mm-hmm. and he has the same voice in his ear all the time is he going to be able to take a step in an area that we didn't believe he was going to be able to do because of how long and entrenched he had been in the league are we going to see that step forward i think it's fair to expect a regular season that again is really good perhaps his stats also might go up because they, because some of the stats came down last season, but I still contend he had, in, in my opinion, he had his best year as a Viking because when you look at, you know, eight fourth quarter comebacks, wins in 11 or uh, 11 one score games in which you, a season in which you win 13 games. So Kirk Cousins stats coming uh, down a little bit in some areas I don't care about. Because my criticism of Kirk was how often in previous seasons up to 2022 did he pad his stats, you know, in the fourth quarter of hopeless games. Um, But as far as the key to the answer to your question, Forno, I don't think we can get that answer until this team, assuming they do, gets to the playoffs. Because I expect him to have another good year. I expect in the regular season, I don't think they win 13 games again. But I, I think that they have a chance to win a division title. I think they certainly have a chance to qualify for the playoffs. And as I keep telling Phil and Declan on 
Purple Daily, I'm not drinking Lion's Kool-Aid until it's served to me fresh and and often because it's the Lion's. So I'm not going to drink that until, and Green Bay, don't know about. Chicago, I think, is improving, but I don't think that they're there yet. So my point is, I really hope the Vikings make the playoffs because this is where I think, Kirk, this is where the next step comes. Because, I mean, this is the guy still who checked it down and threw a three-yard pass on fourth and eight. And that was very reminiscent of the Kirk that was um, not embraced in this town. I don't think that that move was embraced by O'Connell. O'Connell's play call might not have been great, but you can't tell me that that he said, okay, worst comes to worst, our season's on, on the line, check it down. So I really think the ultimate answer to your question comes in the playoffs because I think that in his second year in O'Connell system, and you look at the skill position players, now the interior of the offensive line scares me a little bit, but when you look at the skill position players, I will be very surprised if Kirk does not have a second consecutive really successful season. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking at him to kind of take it, take a step forward, and it's it feels so weird that we're talking about a guy who's about to be 35 years old taking a step forward, considering where he's at in his career. But it's look, we've had quite the roller coaster with Kirk Cousins, and it's great that we're still going to be able to get more out of him. And at, we let's transition here out of Kirk because we have some interesting developments here with the salary cap and contracts. And we saw TJ Hawkinson get paid. We saw him get his contract extension. They added a void year to that deal, but it doesn't impact anything yet. That's just there for posturing and they can kind of maneuver if and when they need to restructure because you usually have to at, at some point in a contract. But I want to talk about Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa got the mother load five years, $170 million. And it, he got, $122.5 million guaranteed, $50 million signing bonus. That's the highest ever for a defensive player. And the other two are the highest ever for a non-quarterback. $34 million per year. We know that Diana Rossini yesterday reported that the Vikings were potentially close to a deal with Justin Jefferson. And that could mm-hmm. be coming, quote, very soon, unquote. Her words, not mine. With this contract that Nick Bosa signed, where are your th- thoughts right now on Jefferson having to beat that? Now, we know based on his skill set, you could easily argue he should get more than that. But there are a lot of variables at play. Does he really try to approach getting more than that? Does he does he put his foot in the ground and say, no, you need to pay me that? Do the Vikings agree that he should be paid like that? And do they are they willing to cut that type of check, uh, so to speak? Where are you on all of this? Because this is a very intriguing element to this discussion. All indications are that uh, Diana Rossini's report is accurate and that this contract is going to get done. And in fact, I think a lot of people believe it's going to get done before the Buccaneers game. Now, if you go back to the Spielman days, if you recall, 4-0, Adrian Peterson in like 2012 got done the Saturday before they opened at the Chargers. I think that was 2012. Um, Dalvin Cook, if I'm not mistaken, got done the Saturday before they opened uh, circa 2018 or 19. So, yes, I think this I think this contract is just about done. And unless the Bosa contract shocked them, which I don't think it probably did, um, I think he's going to exceed those figure slightly, which again is why I think that's the primary reason I believe that they did not um, bite on a cousin's contract extension in March. Because 
they have no seeming, you know, set plan at that position, right? At quarterback. So it would have made sense to be like, okay, Kirk, you're not young, but you're, but there are certainly quarterbacks now pushing 40. Let's, let's do a one more three-year contract. But they were very adamant in saying, hold on a second. No, no, no. Now is not the time, which I believe is predicated on the Jefferson contract. And also what the Vikings are doing, and this is pretty smart, is the Vikings are locking up guys in going into their second contract. So they're trying mm-hmm. to lock up um, Jefferson. They're going to let, you know, Derisaw, Hawkinson. So basically what they're doing is acknowledging that guys in their second contracts are going to get paid. As far as the Jefferson contract goes, uh, again, unless the Bosa contract caught them completely by surprise, and keep in mind, Quasi knows people in the San Francisco organization, so I'm guessing he had a feeling for this. I think that Justin Jefferson uh, will slightly exceed or match what Bosa got by Saturday. Total guess on my part. But the one thing is, and I'll say this in Jefferson's defense, because ideally everyone on the team that you root for says, ah, oh, you know what? I don't need at that much. I, I'm willing to, you know, because of salary cap purposes. But the reality mm-hmm. is this. These guys these guys have a, you know, it's a ticking clock on how long they have to make their bones, how long they have to make their cash. And Justin Jefferson flat out probably deserves to be the highest non-paid quarterback in the league. Is that going to cause some problems? Absolutely. But he's worth it. So I, I am at the point where I think a contract gets done by Saturday. I think it's done. And keep in mind, too, they they have a lot of time to play with that contract because the last two year the last two years of his rookie contract don't go away, mm-hmm. so he's still under a rookie contract. So they can shove some of the cap hits into this year, into next year, and so essentially, my guess is Justin signs a three to four year extension. But if you look at the reality of the contract, then it's six years because those last two years of the rookie contract are going to count. Same with Darisaw a year from now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this is very much why they didn't uh, jump at the chance to extend Kirk because I think there are variables. And what makes this so intriguing is I think if they're going to ask anyone potentially to take less down the road, it's going to be Kirk. And he might say no, but look at the amount of quarterbacks who basically are brought into the fold, especially when they've made their money and told, Hey, you are a part of this team. Like you're the most important part. But in being the most important part, why don't you work with us to lower your cap hit? So, I, guys, I continue to say this from just a standpoint of following the Vikings and being interested. This is one of the most intriguing seasons I can recall because of conversations like this. There are so many unknowns, uh, but the one known is Justin Jefferson, I really think, is going to get done uh, it's going to be painful financially, but it's going to be done without the pain of like uh, a back and forth that's going to be a problem. He's too important to have a problem with. I think the uh, the contract element that you kind of talked about with Cousins is very interesting as far as him taking less and the posturing. One thing that that I've kind of noticed with how he's approached his contracts, and it, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Drew Brees and Peyton Manning, where he, they would just tell the team, and Manning has been quoted exactly like this. Like it, it is not my job to, to deal with the salary cap, pay me and you figure it out. And it feels like Kirk has always been one of those guys. And I wonder how much that's going to transition into the future of Kirk cousins, because we're about to enter the twilight of his career. That could happen 
tomorrow. It could happen on Sunday. That could happen in three or four years from now. Once you hit 35, there starts to be a lot of major questions. And it's something I talked about earlier today on a on another show that I did where you just you don't know how things are going to develop with his arm because he does not have elite arm talent. He has good arm talent. And good turns to poor a lot quicker than elite turns to poor. So there are a lot of variables here that I'm very intrigued to see how they kind of play out. And that the element of potentially taking less because of these other guys. And I wonder if he'd be willing to do that. If Quasi just lays out a contract and be like, Hey, two years, 40 million, you can either take it and you can stay and we'd love to have you, or you can yeah. uh, take your chances elsewhere and see if that's something that you would prefer. I, if, and when that happens, I'm fascinated to figure out how they play that. And the X factor here is the head coach, Kevin O'Connell. Uh, he is known as what a quarterback guy. I mean, he played the position. He calls the plays. He he was brought here to do everything that Zimmer failed at. And and look, Mike did what Mike was hired to do in fourteen. Like Mike was brought here because this defense was atrocious. It was a complete uh, disaster. And and you know, to his credit, Zimmer took the defense and made it really competitive really quickly until the end when it started to fall apart. And obviously a year ago was a disaster. But that being said, you know, O'Connell is here so that if Kirk's like, you know, no guys, no, I'm going to make, you know what? Every time that I have hit the market or even gone to you, I have broke the bank and that ain't changing. And then the question becomes what you just said, which is does Quasi feel empowered because of O'Connell's presence to say, okay, you know what? Go sign with Tampa Bay. You might be miserable, dude, but if you want to break the bank, like the Vikings, it's weird. The Vikings are bending over backwards to involve Kirk, and they've empowered him, and the head coach absolutely appears to embrace him, right? And so all of that being said, I think what's going to be interesting is the Vikings are going to say, you know what, Kirk, you're going to be 36 in August of 2024, and if you walk you might be miserable and you have made millions. Your family is going to be just fine. Your grandchildren, their children. And so the question becomes then if Kirk's like, no, I am going to, I need to be top 10. I need to be top five. Then do the Vikings say, okay, dude, that's cool. Kevin O'Connell develops quarterbacks. That's again, um, I just think that it's, it's, uh, I think that there's a price that Kirk is going to ultimately have to pay for the fact that his coach has involved him. He has been everything that Mike was not. You know, Mike couldn't stand him. As, as you said, hate's probably too too strong a word, but I've used the exact same word. So Mike couldn't stand Kirk. Mike, well, you know, at the Combine in, in February 2018, a month before Kirk Cousins was signed from Washington, Mike went up to the podium and basically said, don't, you can't pay a quarterback too much. O'Connell's like, well, hell no. So that's where I think it becomes intriguing. But then, of course, the question becomes, if they jettison Kirk, who's the next quarterback? And, you know, if I'm Justin Jefferson in these contract negotiations, you're probably at least going to ask that question, right? Mm -hmm. Who's going to throw me the ball when Kirk's gone? You're at least going to ask that question. I'm not saying it's going to make or break you, but it's a good question. See, I don't I'm not worried about that. And the reason I'm not worried about that is you take a look at other star receivers who have played with subpar quarterbacks doesn't matter and they're still going to be really impactful they're still going to make plays especially when you have a guy like jefferson who separates so easily 
with how he's able to move his body, kind of moves his body like Gumby. And he, he, he can just do different things with how flexible he is and how he's able to like play in his foot and break in and out of, of routes. He's going to be able to make things happen no matter what. Just look at Terry McLaurin in Washington. The best quarterback he's played with is probably Taylor Heineke at this point. And he's put up a thousand yard season after thousand yard season. So I'm not necessarily super concerned. Obviously it's easier when you have a great quarterback, but I think that element is, is fascinating to watch. And there was a question here um, from one of our listeners that I want to ask you because it's, it's the absolutely beautiful, reckless, reckless speculation, Judd, something that I know you really enjoy. Um, I do. Do you, do you think they're trying to usher Kirk out the door graciously by not signing better interior offensive linemen? No, because those guys are all too high draft picks. Like, like if those guys were seventh round picks or street free agents, I would say this is a disaster. But I mean, Cleveland's a second round pick. Um, Ed Ingram is a second round pick. Garrett Bradbury was a first round pick. Now, did they hit on those three? I think you could make a very good case they did not. But no, I, I don't I don't think that, that they are. And keep in mind, too, the one thing about that line is the bright side is those two tackles are damn good. If, if O'Neal's Achilles is in good shape and Darisaw, those tackles are damn good. So no, I, I don't think that there is a passive-aggressive mm-hmm. thing at work here. Um, but I do think, unfortunately, for as high as those three interior guys were drafted, uh, unless Ingram really turns the corner, it's fair to say that none of the three, or, or certainly two of them right now, Bradbury and Cleveland, didn't deserve the draft position at which they went. But keep, keep in mind, too, that is, you know, Spielman was Bradbury, Spielman was Cleveland, Quazy was Ingram. So I know I don't think that they're trying to usher him out the door through that i do think that they are going to to force his hand a bit though because if they're going to pay jefferson as much as we think and um they're certainly paying hawkinson a fair amount i do believe at some point in time just from a cap perspective you're going to have to draw some type of line right mm-hmm. not it might not be a huge line but it's going to have to be some type of line plus you got to mm-hmm. sign guys on defense and and let's t- talk about the fact that if um if Davenport, you know, in a one-year make-or-break deal disappoints, and then, you know, with Daniil Hunter, there's a chance that you're going to go into the offseason without an est- – into the 2023 and the 24 offseason without an established pass-rushing presence. And so you're going to have to use a first-round pick there or try and sign a, a guy there. So, like, there's going to be – there's going to be a lot of very interesting financial decisions to be made because we're talking about a lot of positions at which guys make significant dollars. Absolutely. And let's kind of transition over to the defense as we look towards week one here, Judd. Let's talk about that pass rush. And I think one of the interesting things about the pass rush is how aggressive Brian Flores likes to be on defense. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to have elite level pass rushers. And we have one in Daniel Hunter. We've had one since 2015. And then you have Marcus Davenport who has all the traits to be an elite pass rusher. And if you look at his, his pressure numbers, he has a better pressure percentage than Daniel Hunter does because pressures mean more than sacks Mm -hmm. in the fact that impacting the quarterback means more as a general whole 
than just finishing. Finishing is obviously the ideal outcome, but if you get pressure and impact the throw, that can cause a whole litany of other issues. So if Davenport, even if Davenport got four sacks and 80 pressures this year, there's going to be a huge segment of people that call him a bust. Oh, that's a massive hit. 80 pressures. That's what Darius Smith did last year. And you can force him to the inside and other guys will finish. So I'm intrigued to see how that happens, but you don't need those guys. And I'm really interested how Brian Flores is going to try to use them. Is he going to have them on the interior? Is he going to have them wide? Is he going to have them somewhere in between? Is he going to have like four edge rushers at once on the field to try to create some really fun looks? Uh, We've seen the defense kind of practice some stuff. And obviously being that you're at close practices, Judd, you've probably seen a little bit more than I have. What do you think these edge rushers are going to be able to bring to the table that might be different from what we saw last year. Oh, I mean, it's going to be huge because, as I've said repeatedly on Purple Daily, I mean, Ed Donatel was a complete bust as a coordinator. Mm-hmm. He he sold O'Connell a bill of goods on what he planned to do, and then as far as I was concerned, he essentially played a Tampa two circa nineteen ninety six. Uh, we're going to see what I would con- what I would consider to be controlled chaos. They're going to know what they're doing, but it's going to look uh, it's going to look confusing at times. I don't think the athletes are going to be confused, but I think the offense is. And yes, I mean we we saw in training camp um, at times basically four rushers on the line, but then what they do is is they'll fake four to five guys coming, and five guys will will act like they're going to blitz. Three will really blitz, and two will fall off. And I, the one thing I think that's important to keep in mind is um, Brian Flores is going to do a very good job of getting Daniil Hunter into situations that he can thrive. I think the same thing for Davenport as well. And again, if Davenport does have a good, good year, he's a free agent himself again. So I guess the Vikings could franchise him, but he would be expensive as well. But um the X factor for me is the safeties because we're going to see three safety packages a lot. I, I think they're going to use a safety as a rover. I think a, a lot of times, in fact, I talked to him in, in the locker room today. Josh Metellus is going to be that, that guy. And it's sort of mm. going to be a hybrid linebacker slash safety. Um, but we are going to see Harrison Smith back doing what he does well, which is what, you know, for years, Mike Zimmer featured, which was. I'm going to blitz on this play. Now, now I'm not going to blitz. Now I'm going to play deep. Now I'm not going to play deep, right? I mean, he tied, if I'm not mistaken, Harrison Smith tied a career high with five picks last year, but it's because he was just playing deep. He was playing the, tam- you know, that Tampa two sort of style, which mm-hmm. for a guy as smart, their safeties. I, the thing I think that you should keep in mind too, Forno, is this. Cam Bynum, Harrison Smith, Josh Metellus are not only good athletes, but probably more importantly, they are smart and savvy. Metellus told me today that basically everybody has the ability to check into different things at times. Like we're talking, Brian Flores is going to trust these guys. And I don't think he's going to trust them if he doesn't trust their brains first. Like I think the physical aspect is important, don't get me wrong, but I think the most important thing is the Vikings have worked hard to identify what they feel are the smartest guys. And then final point to what what you're saying about pressure. And if you recall, that's exactly what when Zimmer got the job here, the Bengals defense 
that Mike oversaw did not get a ton of sacks. And Mike said, that's the, that's not the point. Sacks aren't the point. If the quarterback is pressured, that's the point. So I think that there's a lot of concern about the corners. Well, the reality is this, if the Vikings get the type of pressure that they expect to get, it's going to make the quarterback make a decision quickly. And as we all know on this show, your cornerbacks look a lot better when the quarterback is flustered. Mm-hmm. You know, the greatest cornerbacks in the world can only hold up for so long. So this is, again, in in my opinion, what this is going to be is it's going to be a very hand-in-hand thing where everything is going to feed off each other and they're not going to ask, they can't ask their corners to be these, you know, shut down Revis, Xavier Rhodes in his prime type of players. What they're going to say is you hold up, but the pressure is going to mean that you don't have to hold up in perpetuity. That's that's a really good point. And that getting guys in position to be be at their best is I think one thing that Ed Donatel didn't do. And Donatel was like, Hey, you're a square peg fit in the round hole where Brian right. Flores is going to use kind of the, that little box, that toddler toy that, that the reference is from. And he's, he's going to adjust the opening so his players can fit right through and do what they're best at. I want to go back to the safety conversation before we kind of look at what the Buccaneers are, Judd. And you talk about how they're trying to identify guys with, with intelligent brains and the ability to understand what's going on in front of them. Where does that leave Lewis seen? Because one of his best traits at Georgia was being able to see it, plant his foot in the ground and explode like a projectile missile. And he's shown the ability to do that in limited action this preseason. But it was once he got there that he had a lot of those struggles. Where is he at in this pecking order as far as, we, we know he's fourth. The depth chart explicitly says that. We've seen it throughout practice. We've seen it throughout the preseason. But we also know that Brian Flores, historically, just like Bill Belichick, loves to rotate guys out in packages. Where does that leave scene? Where does that leave scene? Oh, boy. Unfortunately, as, as a little bit of a project, which if he was a third or fourth round pick, I think it wouldn't be as big a talker, but he's a first round pick and he's a first round safety. And in my opinion, at least, and I've talked to uh, Phil about this a lot too. You know, there are certain positions. If you take a guy in the first round, you expect that guy to play quickly. I think it's fair to say safety is one of those. Uh, You know, ideally some guys can sit and learn. And if I thought that scenes leg from the gruesome injury, he suffered a year ago against the saints was still like a big problem. I would basically say, Hey, he's still, recovering but he has spent the entire he spent the entire spring saying i'm fine you know i'm fine now um i think the most interesting story about josh metellus is probably this and this sort of explains why scene is fourth and it's um at the first press conference that the vikings did the day before training camp started harrison Mm -hmm. smith was one of the players that that got up and talked and harrison smith basically said josh metellus could run our room right now like he could run the coach's film he could coach us up like he is so smart, he is so sharp, and you can tell, and you you will for sure see this on Sunday. The fact that he's not being used as a safety, the fact that he's being used as a linebacker, a safety, a rover, um, speaks to the faith that Brian Flores has. And this is not to say that Scene is dumb, 
But I think we're talking about when it comes to Metella, Smith, and Bynum, I think we're talking about like elite, like Ivy League educated football players, if that makes sense. Um, and so, and it's very, very clear that Brian Flores, at least in certain positions, is going to play guys who he trusts the most. And I think that's one. Um, I think there are, I think a prime example too, and I'm guessing he played a role in assigning Byron Murphy Jr. You know, Byron Murphy Jr., don't discount this, you guys. He is going to start outside at corner, which is cool. That's fine. But what really impresses me is, and I don't think I've ever seen this on the Vikings before, especially since uh, the nickel corner became almost a a starter. Uh, He's going to move inside when they go to nickel or a dime package of sorts. And so, you know, now it's going to be, it's going to be, you're going to take a guy. And just to be clear here, and you you know know this, Forno, the playing outside corner and playing in the slot are not the same thing. The inside yeah. nickel corner is basically sort of half corner, half linebacker. Um, you know, Antoine Winfield in his prime showed that because he was unbelievable and unbelievably smart. But again, I think it's putting a premium on guys they consider to be not just good players, but incredibly smart players. And unfortunately, um, scene has, has not, you know, he didn't even get a sniff of first team stuff in camp. So I just have to think that. Brian Flores has identified players that he thinks are better options for what he wants. And mm-hmm. that's not to say scene couldn't develop. That is to say, there's no question scene is not there yet. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's interesting because especially when you look at the Georgia defense and I'm wondering how that's going to impact drafts moving forward, they ask you to fit their system. So, and we saw that with Trevon Walker, the number one overall pick in 2022, he basically was asked to be a, an edge setting defensive end in a four, three, and they didn't develop him really at all as a pass rusher. He was asked to do a job and he was phenomenal at it. And that's why so many draft analysts had a really difficult time projecting him out because he had never shown the ability to be a great pass rusher. It was all, Hey, we think he can do this because he's insanely explosive and long. Well, it, it's worked out so far for the Jaguars. He looked pretty good his rookie year scene was a similar case. They asked him to be a guy deep and attack downhill and just annihilate people. He was great at it. And I'm wondering if that's going to change how the, this Georgia defense is because of like what they're asking their players to do. They're not asking them to be a full fledged safety. They're asking them to do like one thing. And right. That one thing can be really good, but that can also make that transition to the NFL that much more difficult and I think we're seeing some of that with scene right now. And I wonder if how long it's going to take him. Cause I, the idea was obviously for him to replace Harrison Smith, like that's, or, yeah. or at least initially be the running mate. I think Cam Bynum's a great running mate for him, but scene provides a level of athleticism. And this is what the difference between skill and athleticism comes into play. Scene is the most athletic safety we have by far. And it's not close but he's not the most skilled and he's not the most savvy with some of those intangibles that you need on the field. So I'm curious how that ends up changing with his development moving forward, because it's a lot of variables here. Yeah. And I I do think that the goal is, and I don't know if this is going to be Harrison's last year here. Um, He obviously came back 
for less, and there is a chance. I do think that the goal is going to be foreseen to replace him. I'm just saying mm-hmm. it's interesting. It's it's interesting that he hasn't vied for more of a uh, role so far. You know, in 2022, we showed up to camp and Donatel and O'Connell had Bynum as the safety opposite Smith, and it never changed. I find it more curious that going into year two, that scene didn't get a chance to challenge Metellus a bit because like scene, the stuff that you're going to see Metellus do, I think you're going to think, well, scene could too. And I think that comes down to what you just said, which is savvy. Yes. I think the law, I think the, I shouldn't say long-term, I think the goal eventually is to have um, scene replace Harrison Smith. I am just I'm intrigued by the fact that there hasn't been more development in his first two years. And keep in mind, before he suffered the broken leg against the Saints, I think he had only two defensive plays. So it wasn't it wasn't mm-hmm. like he was playing a lot, playing a lot, they, and then they, suffered they the special teams. Saints team, though, Judd, if you remember, that they were going to really start integrating him into the defense. So they had plans to get him to that point, but it just never came to fruition for obvious reasons. Right. Right. So we'll we'll see. Um, but I do expect that this defense is going to be a, a lot of fun to watch. I think they're going to give up some spectacularly spectacular plays like the aggressiveness is going to cost them, but it's going to be offset by the fact that I think they're going to make some big plays. And I think for those of us who are stuck watching the 2022 Donatel defense, it's going to be far more entertaining to watch a defense that is going to be doing a lot of things as opposed to saying, let's give up all the short plays to take the deep play away. And then, of course, you got to that game at Ford Field, and it's like you got burned twice deep, and it's like, okay, what's the point of of this entire experiment? So I think the defense is going to be a lot more enjoyable to watch. And, hell, if Flores can get this thing up to, like, 20th in scoring D, you know, that's a nice jump, right? Like, it's just that... I don't expect them to be top 15, but I think that they're, I think with what we've seen, there's a real chance that, that they could get around 15. And I think you would take 15 to 22 and not be upset, especially if the offense can be become more consistent. Cause that's one thing that we probably have not talked about. The fourth quarters were fun, but the fourth quarters were the lipstick on the pig of a second and third quarters that were absolutely far too often. Nothing. Um, O'Connell and everyone in that building knows this offense needs to have far more games where you don't have to win by one score because you've been scoring for three quarters as opposed to on the first drive and now in the fourth, it's this mad hurrying up to try to uh, come back and win a game. That's not a formula for success, but what is, is scoring more often in the second, third quarter. Absolutely. And I think we need, we need to spend a little bit of time before we end up going here, Judd, talking about this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. Obviously, they're going through a really big transition period. Tom Brady's gone. He is retired. Byron Leftwich was fired as well for his offense. And going from, I still think he's a great candidate to be a head coach because being a coordinator and a head coach are completely different things. But his scheme was stale. It was not, he was not willing to really adapt it based on how he called the offense. And it felt like Tom Brady was just kind of left there to just figure it out. And very, very frustrating to watch, especially when, you know, being such a big fan of Brady and uh, being able to watch greatness like that for over 20 years was just incredible. And they bring in Dave Canales. They have Baker Mayfield, who is that just a retro gunslinger in every which way. And 
he obviously has had struggles over the past couple of years. He really shouldn't have played after he tore his labrum and his non-throwing shoulder in 2021. That kind of sent his career into a spiral. But the way this offense is constructed and the weapons they have on the outside, I, I think Baker could be in for a mini renaissance. I don't think he's going to be this great quarterback, but I think he could really earn that starting job on a long-term basis. When you take a look at this team, should the Vikings really be worried about Baker Mayfield and this offense really taking it to him in week one? Worried probably is the wrong word, but yes, there should be concern. I also think the problem is the schedule. And I'm not saying that the Vikings are going to look past Tampa Bay, but you're playing four days after that in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So yes, there, there should be, um, how, how about this word? There should be caution. Like n- no one should be too confident. Uh, I do think that this defense is going to show the Buccaneers things that they, they might get some scout off or some of the looks scouted off the old dolphins film from what Flores did during his time there. But there's going to be a lot of different things. And I asked O'Connell today, I said, how much of this defensively do you think you guys are going to roll out in week one? Because, you know, you don't want to put it all on tape. And you probably don't have to. And he acknowledged that and said, yeah, we'll definitely game plan things. But you probably are not going to game plan in and show all of your looks in week one. But I sort of look at these first two games as bookends because they're so close. So I think that there has to be some, I think that there has to be caution. I think Tampa Bay is going to be bad, uh, but that doesn't mean that they can't beat you. And I mean, you can recover from, let's say, 0-2 starts, but it's a pain in the ass and it's no way to start your your year. Mm -hmm. So yes, definitely caution. And I do think that it is far from favorable that you then have to turn around and play on a Thursday night in a tough environment against a good team. And I do think that everybody has to be very cognizant of the fact that you have to beat the Buccaneers first before you have a potential chance to go uh, against the Eagles at the link and upset them. Uh, so I, if it was up to me and I was O'Connell, I would hate the start of the schedule based on based on that fact. I like having Tampa Bay. I just would prefer that I didn't have to turn around um, with what one practice because they'll probably do they'll probably take take Monday to do corrections. Tuesday they'll do a light practice and Wednesday a walkthrough. So, like, that's the one thing that keeps occurring as as a potential issue. Uh, so, I am not overlooking anyone in this first sequence of games. Yeah, this this first sequence of games is going to be tough. But if they somehow end up uh, two and zero after that uh, oh, yeah. game, it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. Uh, one more thing here, Judd. We are in, in an interesting position with this cornerback room. And we talked about it a little bit. You mentioned Byron Murphy playing inside and outside, but it's the guys not named Byron Murphy Jr. that are of major concern. And uh, Caleb Evans has shown flashes, but uh, he can't turn worth a dang. It, it's basically like trying to watch a semi trying to make a 90 degree pinpoint turn in a parking lot. And it, you've got Andrew Booth Jr., who I, I wrote in my bold predictions, I think he plays less than 300 snaps this year just because of where he's at in his development. I don't think they're going to trust him. And Makai Blackman, who is a third-round pick, basically a fourth-round pick because he was the last pick on day two, he's 
probably going to log like six, 700 snaps as the nickel corner. Like this group is such an intriguing one for both good and bad reasons, because it could be really good. It could be average, which would be a huge win for this Vikings team, or it could be an utter disaster because who knows if Byron Murphy jr. Can stay healthy after having that back injury Uh, on a scale of one to 10 with 10 being, Oh my God, this is going to burn down. How concerned are you with this room? Oh, um, six and a half. I mean, I'm definitely concerned. And here's why. But besides the, the fact that you just described uh, a Caleb Evans as being a guy who basically can jackknife on the football field, he also had three concussions last year. And you can't like get around concussions. It's not like I can play through that. And I, I know that he has switched helmets. I know that they're being cautious. But if you're predisposed to concussions and you keep suffering them, like that's mm-hmm. not a workaround of, well, we'll taper up. I mean, you're just not playing. Um, and so I'm very concerned there. I think that what you said about Booth already applies. I've seen no trust there. He's a second teamer. Like in training camp, he was a second team guy. He did not, he is not a first te- team guy. Makai Blackman, they obviously like, and he might be good, but we don't know that. Um, my concern becomes a nine if they don't get pressure. My concern be I've, that my biggest uh, hope for this defense from a cornerback perspective is that Daniil Hunter and Davenport and the front gets pressure because there are, you're right, there's a ton of question marks. And, I, you know, I think there's a debate of did they do enough there? Did they, did they, you know, um, the fact that Joan Williams opened training camp in, in what's now Blackman's place with the first team. And now he's on the practice squad. And by the way, he went through the entire waiver process and didn't get picked up. Doesn't exactly make me think that he's a stalwart himself. So I think this is all predicated on can Brian Flores front get enough pressure to take away some of the pressure on those corners? Because I sure as hell don't want to ask those guys to, hey, we're not getting a ton of pressure hold up here, you know, just hold up today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're, you're right too. I mean, Byron Murphy Jr. is not coming off a twisted ankle. He's coming off a back problem. And I concussions... What I heard, he would have been able to play if the Cardinals were still in the race. Well, that's, that's good news. But I'm just saying, backs concern me. Concussions and backs always concern me because, in, because they're not the type of thing where, again, you just tape them up. Um, but I do have faith that if he's healthy, he's going to be productive and good. And again, just to, uh, say that I am impressed by the fact that this guy could play inside and outside, but yeah, I mean, I, am I completely, do I think Kevin O'Connell is completely comfortable with his guards or cornerbacks? No, no. And, and I do think that they're, if, if they break down at the cornerback position, I do think that Quasi Dofamensa is going to be open to some criticism of why didn't you do more there? And what's going to come back to bite them in the butt at that point, too, if he doesn't show significant progress, if and when he gets a chance to play, and he probably will, is Booth, second-round pick. So, like, if you're right, and I think you are, and they, they are essentially like, well, you are a break glass in case of an emergency cornerback for a second-round pick, Oof. that is that is not good. And... The other thing is this season is going to decide, I think, in large part, the fate of that draft. You know, if Ingram turns around and plays well, 
he's a second round pick, but that's a step in the right direction. Like if Ingram, and I think he might, I don't know there, but I'm just saying the next, you know, the first half of this year and the entirety of the 2023 season is going to go a long way towards determining if the top of that draft from 2022 is a complete bust or if it was guys who just had rough starts. But I am flat out concerned that Andrew Booth Jr. did not vie for a starting role. That worries me. Yeah, it worries me too. And it's especially worrisome because in college, you knew he needed a little bit of time, a little bit of seasoning. But man, his ability to drive on the football just seems tailor-made for this defense. And the fact he's not getting there yet is very frustrating. But uh, Judd, one last question. What are you most looking forward to on Sunday afternoon? Oh, beyond just the sounder of football, beyond just the... um, beyond seeing um, blitzes and zone coverages. And I'm looking forward to seeing, and this is not going to shock you, and it's probably not exciting to say, but I am looking forward to seeing what Justin Jefferson does with Jordan Addison playing the role that I think they expect him to play. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's going to open up chances for Justin Jefferson. I think it's going to present chances uh, that Thielen couldn't create because of his age and l- lack of speed. I mean, Jordan Addison, if he can stay healthy, I think he's a player. There's nothing I saw of him in practices where I said, uh, that doesn't look like a great pick. He runs really nice routes. I think he's football smart. He strikes me as football smart. I have no idea if the kid can pass the test. I, I don't care. But, you know, he runs good routes. He moves like a wide receiver should there's not a lot of there's not a lot of what i would call wasted movement with him yeah. and i do think that if you have hawkinson jefferson and addison on the field together it's going to present kirk with with uh, great opportunities but more importantly anything that can make justin jefferson more dangerous to me mm-hmm. is fun to watch cuz that guy I and mean, it it is a gift to watch him consistently it is a it, it it's a football blessing to be able to watch that guy consistently play. There's very few very 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 special players and he is a very 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 special player. He really is and it's it's going to be fascinating to watch here. Judd, can't tell you how much I appreciate this and we are lucky enough we're going to be able to do at least one show a month here on this channel together and that's that's going to be really fun here throughout um, the next few months and into the off season as we get into the real part of reckless speculation. I know you guys have some re- really cool things and obviously I'm privy to some of it um, going on over a yes. purple daily. Uh, what are, what are some of those things? How, how excited are you guys going to be for the start of this season? Oh, are you kidding? Uh, so t- tomorrow on a score North purple daily, we're going to do our weekly state of the offense. Um, we are going to talk about where not just Kirk is at, but also an offense that I think is going to transition from playing a ton of 11 personnel to more 12, which is going to help things out. Um, yeah, we, we've got an exciting week of coverage planned. It started with a discussion on Kirk Cousins' future on uh, Tuesday. So lots of things. And, and then, of course, to plug you as well, Tyler Fornis joins me on uh on an extension of Purple Daily called Purple Access every other Thursday. Uh, Chip Scoggins, columnist for the Star Tribune, joins me when 
Tyler does not, but uh, plenty, plenty to talk about. And the best part is, guys, we survived the offseason. We survived it. It's over. Week one is here. Enjoy uh, Chiefs and Lions. I love the fact that starting tomorrow, the National Football League, there is no one smarter, monopolizes the entire weekend. Get of, of course you get your college football on Saturday, but you get you get a pro game on Thursday, you get the NFL on Sunday, on Monday. It is a fantastic time of year. It's a great time of year, and I can't wait. It's gonna be good. Dave, what do you got? Well, I was just gonna tell Judd. You asked him what Judd's looking forward to. I expected a different answer. I expected the twelve pack of Surly he's got chilling in his fridge. Oh, that's always, yeah, before I die from Surly, Furious, are you kidding, Dave? Absolutely. You know what? I just assumed anyone who has seen me before knew about that. But yes, yes, Surly is the Justin Jefferson of beer. It's a very, 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 very special beer. Thank you, Dave. Yes. You're welcome. I wish I could get it. When I lived in Colorado, I could get it. I can't get it down here in Texas. But I, I picture you, especially on Thursday night, Watching the game, there's no big pressure. You don't have any massive stories to write, nothing. Nope. You're just chilling, pow, and oh, yeah. enjoying football. Ice glass, too. Ice mm-hmm. glass. I, I now put my mugs in the freezer because there's nothing better than those first couple sips when that when that mug is just frosty. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Pro tip, and I know it sounds dumb considering it's a frosty mug. Get a little bit of water and swish rinse it out before you put your beer in it's gonna oh, it's gonna okay. create it's gonna create less head because of the frost and if there's any extra soap residue from when you washed it it'll clean it out as well have you ever gone to a bar and they press it down on that thing on the rail and it just shoots water up? Yeah. yeah do that before you fill it. it it'll make an impact on the beer Look at this. You learned something new. See, see, my appearance on this show paid off in spades because I had I had no idea. That's a great thought. Thank you. Hey, that's that's why I'm uh, Vikings Twitter's number one fry cook. I, I know all the restaurant things. So uh, you're good. Tomorrow, tomorrow night, we will be having a special show on the channel. Dave, I believe it is six o'clock. An extended preview of the Minnesota Vikings season. And then two old bloggers goes back to its original time at 4 p.m. Central time on Saturdays, not Sundays, because baby, we got football to break down. And just so you know, we are the first ones to go live every single post game. Sorry, Judd. We are. We're first at the two minute warning at every Vikings game. We will be live. We're going to have to retool to start. the (laughs) We're going to have to retool you. You shared your secrets. Uh, hey, this isn't a secret. This has been out, out in the open for a long time. And, and we have the advantage because you can't go live till the game's over uh, at being at the stadium. So, well, I well, can't. Well, Phil and Declan can, huh? Phil and Declan can. <laughs> listen, but, listen I, I will talk to Phil. This is our gimmick. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> make, sure, make sure you join us. We're going to have a lot of great stuff. And we're going to have potentially some bonus content here as we move forward. And it's it's going to be a hell of a ride. Make sure you hit like, subscribe, go check out everything that Judd and I do over at Purple Daily and Score North. And we are going to have a great football season. Dave, take us home. Hey, and it's not just Purple Daily and Score North. It's also Vikings Wire. 
because that's where we get to see Judd write. And I always grew up loving reading what Judd wrote. So ever you grew since, up. well, yeah, I was in North you Dakota were just a little up there. No, I wasn't little. I'm older than you, but I mean, <laughs> when when we got to press, that's what I wrote. You know, I or read it. until you went up and became a Packers fan up in Green Bay. Um, yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was great. And then, uh, but we also have Vikings Wire, like I said, where you write. Mm-hmm. And then over on the Vikings First and Skull side, we have our podcasts. We have unique podcast-only stuff that goes out. We just did the season preview for the NFC North, which was a fun episode to record. And we've got stuff coming up on our writing side of Vikings First and Skull, where we've got our great group of writers pumping out articles daily, almost daily, hopefully more than daily now. And uh, we've got one coming out as soon as Tyler finishes looking at it. It's published. Bingo, bango, bongo. And the one thing we always say as we head out into week one of the NFL season is Skull Vikings. Skull Vikings. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell to get notifications. It helps us grow this community. And we all love our Minnesota Vikings. And on behalf of Tyler Fornis and myself, Dave Stefano, thank you so dearly for watching The Real Forno Show. Skull, everyone! This has been a Vikings First and Skull production, part of the Fans First Sports Network.